everyone, and welcome back to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebujamra, and I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, you know, every couple of weeks on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we talk about hope. We talk about how we lose our hope, how to get it back, and how to keep it for good. And we have got a great episode today. We're going to talk about hope when you feel like dying. And uh, my guest is awesome. I'm telling you this because I really think she's awesome. Uh, You're going to see her energy level is a little bit higher than mine, if that's possible, but in every good way. Her name is Heather Palacios, and she is on staff at Church by the Glades in Miami, Florida, a place I've always dreamed of living. And she's also the founder of an online ministry dedicated to mental health called Wonderful. She's going to tell us more about it in a minute. But more than anything, I'm excited for you to hear her story because it is a story of hope and a story of grace. So Heather, it is so great to have you today. How are you doing? Hey, Lena. (laughs) You sound like you're in the other room. Come on closer to the computer. Okay. Is this better? I mean, usually my big mouth is not a problem. Usually people tell me I'm being too loud. Yeah, we, we love your big mouth. It's so great to have you. Tell me how your day's going. Well, it's actually raining in sunny South Florida right now. But it's sunshiny in my room because I'm on a podcast with you. That's awesome. You know what? It's beautiful here. And your roots are in Chicago, the Elgin area, right? Isn't that what I remember uh, talking to you about in the past? Yes. I attended Judson University in Elgin, and I grew up in the Barrington, Algonquin, Crystal Lake area. Wow. You are truly like one of us. This is exciting. And I know I have listeners from all over, but uh, love people from Chicago. In fact, that's how you and I met. It was a Judson function. I sit on the board at Judson, but uh, I heard your story pretty quickly after we met. And it is, you have a fascinating story, Heather. And I know people probably tell you that, but I mean, we don't waste a lot of time here. I, I do things like we do in the ER. We just get straight to business. So tell me sort of about your, you know, that time in your life when you hit a wall and things got really dark. Okay, bud. Well, my story started when I was eight years old, and that would have been in 1981. Wait, 70, 73 plus eight. Yeah, 81. Yeah. Um, and I wrote a letter to my grandma and grandpa, and the nature of the letter was that I wanted to commit suicide, which was unorthodox for that day and time. Back then, there was not a mental health movement. There wasn't suicide prevention. There wasn't uh, mental health awareness. So my grandparents were kind of tripping. They didn't know what to do. They turned it over to my mom and dad, who had enough sense to invite a deacon from our church to come over to our house. And he sat in the living room and prayed with me and talked with me. And then we just kind of moved on from that incident. And then you fast forward to when I was 12 years old, we moved from Ohio to Chicago. And that move was hard for me. I couldn't cope. And so I wrote another suicide letter. This one was on yellow legal pad. It was about seven to eight pages long. And after I wrote it, I went into the kitchen and tried to find a knife that I could use to cut my wrist to take my life when the doorbell rang. And it was like the orchid bug man or something, but he needed to come into the house. It was unrelenting in his ding-donging of the doorbell. So I let him into the house, and by the time uh, he was done doing what he needed to do, my parents and family had returned home, thus thwarting my um, desire to want to take my life in the kitchen in that moment. And then just fast forward to when I was 18, 19, I was dating a guy. He wouldn't marry me. I mean, look at me. Like, why would you want to marry me? I don't know. But. (laughs) <laughs> he wouldn't marry me, wouldn't put a ring on it, and I couldn't cope with that. So I took a bottle of pills, tried to take my life, was rushed to the hospital where they were able to 
um, undo that damage. And again, moved on again until fast forward to when I was married for one year to a pastor. And I Mm. got very overwhelmed with the pastorly wife life. It was not what I had in store for myself. I did not think I was worthy or capable of being a pastor's wife. So one year after we were married, I drove to a Walgreens parking lot, went inside, got a bunch of alcohol, went in my car, called my husband while I was drinking and binging on the alcohol to tell him I was going to take my life and proceeded to try to take my life in the car after becoming inebriated on the alcohol. And Rob was able to keep me on the phone long enough to get to my location, but he was unable to stop me from what I was doing. So he had to call 911. First responders showed up. And Lena, this time was different. When I share my story, I let people know that this time I had almost become a ratted dog who was not going to be stopped from wanting to take her life. I was determined, so determined, that the adrenaline of caused the first responders to not be able to stop me. Five or six men had surrounded the car and were not able to stop me from what I was doing to myself. So they uh, had to tranquilize me and strap me down at my head and waist and ankles to a gurney um, and forced me uh, to surrender in that in that way um to get me to the hospital where they treated my injuries and then you know the state of florida when you uh, communicate that you are a threat to yourself or a threat to society the state is allowed to detain you in a psychiatric ward for 72 hours it's called a baker act a big advocate of it saved my life but they baker acted me and there i was that night a pastor's wife um of a growing, booming church. Uh, in a, how old were you at that point? Pardon me. How old was I? Let's see. I was like 25. 25. Wow. And Lena, I just lied there that night. And I, I was kind of put in isolation. Um, they assigned a security guard outside of my room. I was put into a very cold, sterile, psychiatric room where they locked me in. And they made me disrobe. And they took away all my possessions and belongings and just locked me in there. And I was, you know, I had urine on me and barf on me and blood on me. And I was starving and I was a hot mess. And just, um, it was just, uh, uh, it was July 30th, 1999. And I'll never forget it because it kind of became the turning point in my life. Where I, July 30th. Yeah, I was like, that's it. That's it. I can't even kill myself right we're recording this in July. This is crazy. And so, so, so just to kind of fill in a couple of blanks before you pick us up at the story. So like you grew up in a Christian home. I did. My mom and dad were hippies. So it was a, a motley kind of a Christian. Sure. <laughs> but you had a sense of, had you made like, would you say at that point, like, had you made a, a proclamation to be a Christian? Like, had you sort of made a decision for Christ? Like you were sort of knew that this all was like this dark side, but she just didn't know how to overcome it. Like walk me through a bit of the tension of, you know, eight to 25. Were you on antidepressants? Were you seeing a counselor or were you living in denial? Yeah, good, great question. I accepted Christ into my heart when I was four years old with my dad. Um, that was on, um, that was on green road in Bowling Green, Ohio in my bedroom. Uh, my dad helped me accept Jesus into my heart. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really, um, grow spiritually though after that point but I did have that moment of salvation and then the the, the mm-hmm. time between the first suicide letter to my grandparents at 8 and 25 when I attempted uh, as a married woman there was no diagnosis no medication 
I just knew my temptation and my struggle was suicide. Mm. That's so interesting. It's you never think of it that way. You think of it as, but it's true. Like whenever you hit pressure, that was your out. Like that was your your mojo. Some people look at porn. Some people binge drink. You just went towards that exactly. darkness. Exactly. So, uh, so yeah. And and, and 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 you had still had accomplished. Like you went to college. You got married. Like you were able to function relatively well, except for those points right. of stress. Exactly. And I, you know, I went to a Christian college, and I think that's kind of where I started to. Um, take my walk with Jesus a lot more seriously because I was, you know, just, it was such a great foundation for that was to be four years on a Christian campus where Christ was number one. So that being said, that being said, it still did not um, persuade my mind, though my heart was persuading the soul of God, my mind was not. My mind was a, was a mind of its own. Did you feel sort of like aggravated with God because you couldn't overcome it? all these years or how was, how did you interact with the Lord about all of this as it was I was, I'll be honest with you. I have always struggled with being mad at God that I couldn't die when I wanted to die. I mean, it is a real palpable temptation. Mm. Uh, as I look over the course of, of the years of struggling with that, it was a real one. And it was frustrating because I just wanted to leave here. I did not want to be on earth anymore. And I, I, I wasn't even successful at piecing out on earth, you know? <laughs> Did you have kids at 25? No, not. So now what happens? Now take me back to the hospital room. So you're sitting there sort of, you know, a mess. Yeah. yeah. And when, did, when, did things turn around then or was it still sort of a season yeah, of darkness? Yeah, great question. Um, th- that night, July 30th, 2000, um, I cried all night long. And, and, and I, I wasn't able to distract myself with, Alcohol, TV, iPhones, my favorite show, Dateline, my husband, the church, nothing. I had nothing in that room. I had only my messed up, dirty, soiled, nasty self and a bed. And so I just cried a lot. And I talked to God. He was all I had. And Lena, that night, I just realized that, you know, when God is all you have left, you have everything you need. And I don't know if you can Mm. make a deal with God, but I think he gives concession to bipolars because I made a deal with him that night. And I said, you know, you help me get out of here and I will dedicate the rest of my life to helping people not end up here. And that was um, 18 years ago when we both held up to our end of the deal. Wow. Wow. And so I imagine it wasn't that simple, like snapping your fingers and it's all good. Like, so yeah, what, and and I, I think this is such an important conversation because I think Christians don't know what to do with mental health. Right. Still. Correct. And so it's like, and, and I even think about you as the eight-year-old and like, I, I just think there's so much shame when fa- I've worked in the ER, pediatric ER specifically. And so p- families come in with kids that are incontrollable and, and that go through these mood swings and hit these points of depression. And it's like, there's a huge denial or there's a huge sort of pray and get better, but, but it's, it's harder than that. It's all so nuanced. And so like, what, what was like sort of a, Walk me through some of the healing steps that you took, even at that point at 25. Like, what did that look like in the years following up until now in terms of your healing? And, and how do you keep okay. up that okay. now? Great question. Um, the day that I got out of the psychiatric ward, I was turned over to a state-appointed psychologist. I had expressed to the doctors in the psychiatric ward that I was a person of faith and that that person that they were turning me over to needed to be a person of faith. 
And so it, it just worked itself out that I was handed over to Dr. Betty Evans-Wells, who was a Christian psychologist in our area. And I'll tell you what, it, 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 it's hard to take your life. It's really hard to put it back together again. It was 52 <laughs> weeks of hell on earth as Betty tried every week relentlessly in partnership with me to put me back together again. I, I've likened it to like the scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. And that's what she would say to me. too. She's like, you're just all out of straw. You're just completely unstuck on the ground. And we're going to put you back one piece of straw at a time. And, and so in conjunction with her therapy, I also saw for 52 weeks a Christian psychiatrist who was able to prescribe medication. And that's what I tell people is don't think you're going to walk into a you know a pill farm, get a pill, and whoo, now I'm on the happy train. Um, it was a lot of tweaking, a lot of increasing of dosages, decreasing, trying this one, trying that one. I, you know, I remember I was on, I tried lithium, Depakote, Clonopin at that time. Um, but I was, I had made a deal with God and I, I wanted to, I love God. I've always loved God. And, and I wanted to honor my commitment to not ending up in a psych ward again. So I worked very hard for those 52 weeks with Betty and Dr. Falk to put me back together again. Um, and since then, it's become maintenance. I regularly see my counselor, and I regularly check into uh, a medical doctor for the medication. Um, and Lena, I just liken mm. it to if I had diabetes, if I had asthma, I just don't distinguish the brain as a separate organ. It is an organ in the human body that can get afflicted mm. or diseased or sick, and you have to treat it with medical attention. And I, I, that's just the way I see it. Well, and how did the church react to all of that's going on? The church, well, this was, you know, 18 years ago. Um, and the church that I was at then was awesome. They were great. They, they were very patient. They were very kind. They were very protective. I don't think they are. You didn't feel, you didn't feel such a stigma. Like your husband didn't lose his job. No. It wasn't like that. Like sometimes you get these horror feelings of what it would be like to come out with mental health issues yeah. in the church. You felt like you were yeah, in the environment. Know, I hear, of course, I hear a lot of conversation about the stigma. And I, I believe that that is out there. I have never subscribed to it personally. I just, I just don't wow. feel stigmatized. I feel like my brain is sick. And I wouldn't treat anybody yeah. with any other sick organ differently. So I don't, I don't see that in myself. Um, maybe it's weird, mm -hmm. but. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's awesome. And I think that you were in that environment and like you're, even in your family, like you felt like your husband had a, like you, like had, did your marriage oh, suffer yeah. at that time when you were oh, walking yes. through that? The marriage took a huge blow. Um, a lot of times when you mm -hmm. have a psych episode the way that I did where it was um, where you had to be tranquilized and knocked out because you were so um, out of sorts uh, there can be it, it, it's kind of like an earthquake you know there's the earthquake and then there's those um, subsequent tremors well those tremors manifest themselves in yeah. the forms of like panic attacks or PTSD and so there was these um, panic attacks that would ensue that were very heightened to the point of paranoia and I got very paranoid in the in the 
weeks and months of followed that Raw was cheating on me, that Raw was gonna leave me, that Raw was I even I even had convinced myself one time that Raw was a homosexual. I mean, all of it was unmerited and unjustified, but the tremors in my brain were so shook up that I was visualizing things and believing things that weren't real and trying to act on them. So it was very hard on the marriage. Now, I mean, I know you and I know that your walk with the Lord is so close. How had, how did you stay in tune with God? Like, how did you grow your intimacy with him when you were walking all this? Did his word, like, were you able to open his word and read it and benefit from it? Or has that grown over time? Like, what's your relationship with the Lord like right now? It's thick and it's not going anywhere. Jesus is my best friend, my doctor, my healer, my father, my counselor, my answer, my hope, my lifeline, my 911. I, you know, I, he was all I had that night in the psychiatric ward. And so he is all I need. And I, I believe mm. that till the day I die on the day God has planned for me to die. Why do you think there's so much more mental health? problems, disasters really in the United States right now? I mean, have you noticed a trend increase or is it just that people are talking about I think it more it's openly? Both. What's your take on it? I think we, we want acceptance. And so when you get diagnosed with something that's mental, you want to be accepted. So I think that's why there's a lot of reduce the stigma, let's do a 5K, let's get the tattoos, let's get the, the, the initiatives going <laughs> because you want to be accepted. Um, and that would, that's across the board. There's a lot of other lifestyles that ju- they just want acceptance. And I think mental health, that are, people want acceptance. So, But I think in addition to that, we also live in a day and a time where it's just more taxing on your mind. I just, the, the, world, yeah, the world is a I lot yeah, yeah. different of a place in a darker way. And it, it manifests itself in your mind in bad ways sometimes. I agree with that completely. But now what's the cool thing about your story is it's really been a story of hope too. So tell me about your ministry, like how you started Wonderful and sort of what God has done about in it right now. 13, no, let's see. Andy's, I started when Andy was two. He's, sorry, I'm not really good with math. So let's, but I don't want to be, I don't want to exaggerate my numbers either because you're, you're a doctor, so you're very smart. So figure it out. If I have faulty numbers. So Andy was, <laughs> Andy's 13 too. So maybe like 11 years ago, I just started blogging. I was like, I'm just going to blog about the days in life of being a bipolar married to a pastor. And, you know, since then, I've added to that mm. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. But originally, it started as a blog, just being pretty honest about what it's like to be inside my head. Uh, you know, because in addition to being a bipolar, I've also been married to someone who's had to live with the bipolar. So I can talk about that from his vantage point. Yeah. Then I went on to have two kids. So what's it like to have a mom that's bipolar? Then I became a part of, you know, Church by the Glades in a a leadership capacity. Well, what's it like to be a leader in a church when you're crazy on the crazy train? So it's just always, there's always been something to write about for a blog post. Yeah. And so, yeah, so like who, who reads it? Like, tell me about the people that you meet through the ministry. Like, do you feel like people find you, I mean, I would imagine just like anything else in life, there's a, there's a sense of safety when the person who's writing about this has walked the path. And so what are some of the questions that come to you or the type of, like, how open are people about their struggle it's, when they hear where you've been? Often that I will receive 
a text, an email, or a private message via social media of somebody who is struggling, someone who has someone who's struggling, or of a suicide. And I have had to put in place lots of protocols and strategy for pastoring and shepherding all of those inquiries. And I tell every one of them, yeah, yeah, I would imagine there's a lot of layers to this. You're right. I mean, how do you like what would you advise even people who might be listening to your story? I think every human in the United States now has some family member or friend or acquaintance that struggles with mental health issues or come to us. You know, you always feel a bit like you're in deeper waters than than you can handle. And and so what are like like three quick things that you, you know, or a handful of advice that you might tell the listener of like, if you have someone in your life who might be struggling, you know, with thoughts of depression or suicide in particular, like how do you get them out of that place? Is there something that you can That's, do? Yeah. Quickly? Great question. If somebody is struggling with those things, um, it, it depends, you know, it depends on the sense of urgency, of course, because uh, I've had some people reach out to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm laying here, you know, with a knife or a bottle of pills. That, that I have to handle. Because here's the thing. Here's what I always have to remember is I am not a certified counselor and I am not a doctor. I'm not certified in any of these areas to save lives. I just think God's tapped me on the shoulder to be a catalyst between my story and the people who can help them. And so I try to really stay inside those boundaries. Um, that being said, when someone reaches out to me, the first thing I say, if it's not an urgent situation or an emergency situation, which warrants a different response is Christian counseling. I've had people from the middle of Iowa reach out to me and say that they are in deep depression. And I, I'm like, hold on, I'll be right back. And I will channel all kinds of networks to find that person, a Christian counselor. Um, So get into Christian counseling. The other thing I recommend is start praying on your knees. Um, In the Bible, the gospel, when Jesus was having his most mentally draining moment. I would say it was in the garden of Gethsemane right before he went to the cross. I mean, if you're, if you're sweating drops of blood, you're in mental anguish. And what did he do? He, he went on his knees and prayed to the father. And so I think that posture of praying on your knees does two things. Number one, it, it worked for Jesus in that moment. So if it worked for him, it can work for me. Number two is when you are mentally afflicted, you are often rendered useless in bed. You can't get out of bed. And I think if you could start your day by praying on your knees, you're halfway there to getting up. Yeah, that's good. Well, and yeah, and some, what, if they're in a place, like I find that a lot of people I come across with even, well, two things come up. One, resources. It's hard to get into counseling if you don't have the resources. And B, the isolation of our culture. I feel like that makes everything worse. But like, the person who's in bed, who can't get out of bed, if they don't have anybody living with them, maybe they're single, like, how do you reach out to them? Do you feel like that's the responsibility of the church to a certain extent to know that about its people? Or is there like a sense of like, yeah. well, we can only do the best we can do, but like, how do you, or, or is it our obligation to try to go the extra mile and, well, and find those yeah, people I mean, who are hurting I, I in our midst? I think the church is the hospital and to, to the sick and the hurting and I think, but, but, but yeah, there is a lot of isolation. I, you know, that's, that's the kind of people that I hear from Lena is I hear from the person that is single, that is in their apartment, that is all alone, that nobody loves them and they're lonely and they don't want to live anymore. That those are the people that I hear from, you know, they're, they're misfits like me. Um, and, and and I have a heart for them. And if they reach out to me, I'm going to do everything I can that God will allow me to do to help them. But 
my comeback was 52 weeks long initiated by me. I had decided I will not try to take my life again. And what do I need to do to make sure that doesn't happen? So there is some ownership, you know, nobody else can climb inside my brain and fix it. Well, I yeah, have to I mean, partner with Jesus. Jesus is in my heart. Jesus is in my brain. So that's who I'm partnering with. Well, and I think that's, um, that's an astounding, I mean, you know, yeah, we put a lot on like, well, you got to get up, you got to do it. But really, it was like, God just rescued you in that moment. Like, like we think about all your story, all the times, I mean, you see this thread of rescue. That's pretty incredible of God just stopping you like that doorbell when you were 12 or 13, you know, when you were on the verge of cutting your wrist and, you know, even at 25, you call your husband, he can't get there, but the 911 they're doing like, God just constantly meets you there. And I think the hope for someone listening that might maybe even struggling right now with this feeling is like, as much as, yeah, you have to do some things like God is going to also be there for you. And, And there's a supernatural component to healing that I think, I still am amazed. Like I'm amazed at what God has done in your life, Heather. I, I, I'm just like I, I've taken care of teenagers who have struggled with this, and I always cynically think, "Well, what hope do they have?" And yet, you are thriving. You have two healthy kids. Your husband. You're still with your husband. You're engaged in your church. Tell us yeah, about your dogs. You've got these dog, amazing dogs. Uh, I do tell my boys, DJ and Andy, that I those. You know, I do let them know that I love Fozzie and Louie more than them. So I, I really try to be honest with my children that I love the Golden Doodles more than my own children. Just kidding. Kind of not. Yeah, they're they like, oh, think you're crazy. crazy. That's a crazy mom. Um, you know, I do have two golden doodles. They they are without sin. I will say that they are the unblemished lambs of today's modern times. They're um, they're oh, on, yeah, they're yeah. on your Insta, so they're right? We'll have people. They we'll are give them all Fozzy. I really want to. I, I well, I did get a baby Bajorn, and I did carry Fozzy around in it for a while. Uh, <laughs> Now that now I can't carry them, they're sure, huge. But I do want to get a high chair because Fozzie really does want to be the fifth person at the dinner table, and I can't get him to stay in the the <laughs> bar stool. So I'm thinking about trying to find a high chair for a golden doodle. If you know anybody, let me know. I need one. That's funny. Does everyone in your family feel the same oh, way? Yeah, but no, no my husband just hates your dogs, babies. That's hilarious. Okay. People appreciate this when they go on your Insta and start seeing those dogs. I mean, they're pretty hilarious, but I would imagine there's also some healing. I mean, I believe in the, just the presence of, especially dogs, I think maybe if you're a cat lover, you probably, but there's also something that happens too with like, I think sometimes, yeah, it's a lot to care for an animal, but there's also a kinship that can happen there that might be healing as well in some ways gets you out of the house you have to take them to go for a walk i mean there's certain like must do that would you know sort of invigorate you to do things that you might right. not normally do if you're on your own locked up and right. and sort of feeling like the whole world is falling on you um what would you tell the church like in general like there's no question i mean you've had a good church experience but there's no question that the church has struggled with mental illness there's obviously a lot of opinion on how to treat it and even we're, we didn't really get into all of that because i think it's a moot point i, I really wanted to highlight the hope of Christ in the midst of immense darkness and how God can just rescue you and how you can, it might be a long journey, but God will put your life together. It is possible. You are not without hope, but like, also what would you tell the church? Like if people are listening, they're going, well, you know, just shake yourself out of it, pray it away, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like how can you well, involve I mean, like, I would respectfully them the other sit down with any pastor, any church and share my story. But I would, but more than my story, Dr. Lena, is the Bible. The Bible has stories of people that didn't want to live. Jonah was like, what? 
let me die. Moses was like, mm. let me die. David was like, let me die. I mean, Jesus was like, take this cup from me. I mean, so there's there's just these examples that are, especially in the Old Testament, of people that just didn't want to live. And so I don't know how we can mm. be aloof to that. I mean, it's, it goes all the way back to the beginning of time in the Bible where the, there was a struggle to live when it was hard. And so I... I don't need yeah. people to hear my stories much as I need them to look at the Bible and see the stories of these people that did want to die or were depressed. And God didn't walk out on them. God didn't abandon them. Anything, God drew closer to them. God met Jonah in the belly of that whale, you know, and spoke to him there when he wanted to, when right. he was being engulfed right. by those, and which, those waves and just wanted to die. So my favorite yeah. is probably Jeremiah, too. He's called the weeping prophet. I mean, like, for goodness sakes, I mean, this is his whole mojo. I mean, it's his identity. But um, And, you know, maybe it's a good time to also mention, to encourage people who might have even lost family members to suicide. I mean, I grew up with this, like, unspoken, like, oh, if they kill themselves, they're lo- that's the sin unto death. But I actually don't think that. I think that you can be saved and end up. Many old Christian, you know, authors and writers struggled with depression. And I think the hope is that God knows our hearts and that salvation is and Christ's price on the cross is so much right. bigger than any sin that we do here on this earth. And and obviously there's a level of darkness that, that becomes for some people too great to fight. And so even there, I just want the compassion of just reminding people like, like, you know, your loved one is in Christ if they're in Christ. And even that sin, you know, even that darkness is not going to hide away God's love. And so just, just, I think just to encourage that person who might yeah. be listening and just feel the weight of sadness over a lost love. I, I think this is a few, sensitive um, topic. A few weeks ago, I had somebody reach out to me from another state asking me if I would please pray for a friend of hers whose son was 12 years old and tried to commit suicide because he was being bullied. And I, I, I went as far as to anonymously post that on Facebook and Instagram, just, just, you know, begging people, not not above begging people, please intercede for this boy. He's 12. He needs our prayers. Um, unfortunately, a couple of weeks later, he tried again yeah. and he was successful. And, you know, it just really, it really weighed oh. on me. Um, and, and to the point where I was like, why, God, why am I, why am I doing this? Why? I, I felt such a loss inside of myself. And, you know, I, I didn't even have a, a pithy, you know, intellectual answer to that, except to say that I have to keep going. I'm just this one person down here in South Florida, but I got to keep going. I got to keep talking about it anytime that I can. well, and keep, I mean, I think I want to just say something about your location, by the way, because that was cool too, to me a few months ago, but, but, um, but really even don't stop telling about Jesus. Like, don't stop sharing the hope of Jesus, even if you're listening and you're like, you know, I don't know what part to play. Just keep sharing about Jesus because he's the light in the darkness. He's the hope for all of us. And so you don't know where a person could, could grasp that light, you know? And so there's so much like that. I think if we just ignore, you know, we, we tend to be superficial people more and more, and we can have a whole conversation with someone and never get to the heart of the matter. And I am inclined more and more to just, press into the difficult conversations because I think that in crisis is where so much of, you know, hope and salvation comes is when we meet people in that place of crisis. But you have a cool sort of angle too. Is, I mean, I don't know that cool is not the right word, but like, I, I think God's sovereign placing you in South Florida was so unique even last year 
with all of this, you know, experience and difficulties and darkness. And, and then you're not that far from something that happened last year in the United States that was very, very significant. Tell yeah, us a little about I that before we come to the end of this. I live from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. So February 14th was really, really hard, traumatic for our community and our church. We've had, we had some of those victims uh, were part of our church family. So uh, yeah, it's just been a little bit of a cloud over this community, even still. Um, But uh, you know, God has done good things in all that pain and, well, you showed up, I mean, so Heather, like specifically, like you showed up like the next day, right? Yeah, I mean, you were I, there I, and talking I to students, to teachers. Personally, um, if I could make it to any of these funerals, or memorial services or prayer vigils that, that I needed to be there. And, and no, I, even if I stood in the back of a line of 500 people, I just, because if I'm there, I'm praying. And if I'm praying, God's listening. And if God's listening, God can do something. And so I ended up going to that week. Following the tragedy, I think like seven, a, couple, a total of 17 funerals, memorial services, which is a lot in one week, oh, wow. um, more than in my life. And, you know, so, but just, I don't know. I just felt that, you know, there was some that I just showed up and couldn't even get inside, but I, I just stood outside and, and just prayed. I just, it was, it was so sad. Just prayed. Well, it is. And, and just to even think about the, the tragedy stemming from a boy who was driven by suicide, by, by, by this darkness and this, you know, I think I'm sure I don't remember the details, but his whole depression and, you know, and, and just that, you know, and, and how easy it can to be living in an environment with, and, and I'm not saying, but like, like, I'm, I know he, you know, he went to a doctor, an area that was so wrong, but yet like he just, I mean, what if he had heard about G I don't know I mean but like we are in places where we may be surrounded by young men and women who are experiencing the same darkness and what if God would use us to shed this light of Christ and so I urge people who are listening like like just be the light we are the light Christ is in us and and look God uses people like Heather you know in, in a unique way because she's walked the path that maybe many of us haven't but but we all know darkness to a certain extent I mean who hasn't had a heavy season a dark season and it might not be to that extreme but yet we understand what it means to be saved from darkness and so let's um yeah let's 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 be the kind of Christians that God wants us to be let's share the love I, I just, just really, I'm excited about what God is doing in your life, Heather. How do people reach you? I mean, how can they connect with you and get to hear more of your story? Okay, they can email me at everything is under the word wonderful. I took the word wonderful from Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and added an H before the ER. So it's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Uh, for Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, blog, and email, Heather at oneherful.com. And I'll just, well, I got to say my, I got to say my life verse. Okay, bud. Come on. Psalm 118, 17. It says, I will not die. It said, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. And I just believe that if hmm. everything that I have inside of me for myself, but for everybody else that God has allowed me to uh, encourage to keep living. Oh man, I love it. I love it. And I love you. I really um, I love what God's doing in your heart. And um, I just pray that this show would uh, really impact many people who are listening today. So 
Uh, on that note, I think we'll come to the end of this podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Um, you know how to reach me, guys. I'm going to have all of Heather's shout out locations, website uh, available for you on handy. In the meantime, you can reach me at lena at livingwithpower.org or just get a bunch of resources at livingwithpower.org. Um, I am been a hard one but an awesome opportunity to talk about Jesus in the midst of darkness. Choose life if you're feeling like dying. God is for you. He's not against you. You just keep looking to him and just trust that you're going to get out of this, not because of how strong and able you are, but because he is a good and gracious God and is always for us. He died for us. How much more does he not do for us while we're living here on this earth? So love you guys all and I'll catch you next week. Bye.